0: conservation easements it's a subject that brings out strong opinions for some and questions for others on our program we'll hear the pros and cons of this tool available for landowners and what to be aware of if you're considering a conservation easement
1: and so if you've got the wrong partner you're just it's going to be sticky and uncomfortable for generations kelly
0: beavers provides us with the third-party perspective and cole mannix from the landowner view on this episode of the working ranch radio show Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and thanks for joining us right here on Rural Radio Channel 147 Sirius XM. You'll find us each Saturday right here at 12 noon Eastern. Thanks for tuning in here today. And also, for those of you listening through your favorite podcast provider, thanks for joining us on that venue as well. Well, it's been a pretty busy and a hectic week here on the X-Ring Ranch with the weather being extremely hot and dry. And I know that is the case for many others as well. We've had several fires. I've been called out to uh, about four fires for the last week. Fortunately, quick action by local emergency management, firefighters and ranchers, all of us converging quickly before things get too far out of hand, despite this extreme heat and high winds. But I will tell you, it is absolutely way too early to be battling these summer fires. On another note, though, this past week, I was able to attend a soils workshop by Nicole Masters. A thank you to Mr. John Flocchini, who is the owner of the Durham Ranch. It's a bison ranch on about 55,000 acres near Wright, Wyoming, not far from where we live here. But Nicole joined me back on episode 17 for a show entitled, Is Your Soil Sick and Tired? And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. There's there's just elements of that you'll pull out of that that have some correlation to what we're going to talk about today in regards to conservation easements. But anyway, I enjoyed getting the opportunity to meet Nicole in person and hear her presentation, a very educational workshop that she gave on soil health and management and I'm going to put it this way. We do rely so much on what comes up and out of the ground and what she has to offer in terms of information about the management of our soil health. It is a game changer. It is very dynamic, but again, glad to see her in person. And if you're interested in attending one of her workshops that she's putting on, She is on tour this summer in Montana and it's a way you can maybe even tour some of the ranches up in Montana. You can tie it all together in one, but it's called the Nicole Masters North Central Montana Soil Health Tour. And it starts June 28th with the first stop for a couple days around the Winnett, Montana area. Then they've got three more stops later, July 10th. 12th and 14th and if you're interested you do need to get signed up ahead of that first stop to find out more here's the website ranchstewards.com. again it's ranchstewards.com for a full schedule of that tour and what each stop will feature i'll put a link on my facebook instagram page as well and you can check that out and speaking of facebook instagram you can find me there at justinmills.yocowboy again that's justinmills.yocowboy i've shared some pictures of the fires from this last week as well as my uh, meeting up with nicole masters and i'll share that link of that tour that she will be having up in montana well on our show today it's about conservation easements kelly beavers with topos and anthros will join me as kind of the third party perspective about conservation easements the pros and the cons and i think overall Just really what to be aware of if you're going to utilize this. Plus, we're going to have Cole Mannix, whose family has done four conservation easements on their ranch in the Blackfoot Valley up in Montana. I believe their first easement was done over 20 years ago. So he's got quite a bit of experience to share about that, why they did it, what he would advise landowners on considering easements. So some very good and frank conversations with my guest today, on conservation easements. Also, today, we're going to have a cattle breed spotlight segment. That's coming up in just a moment. And today, it will be on the Beefmaster breed. Yeah, so stick around for that. We're going we're gonna to do that in just a moment here. Plus, the Captain Tim O'Byrne will be offering his two cents as well. But before we get too far, thank you to our sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association, helping ranchers with pedigree knowledge of actual performance records, and now, some very advanced genomics providing more predictability to you the producer so that you can make management decisions that increase your profitability sim genetics profit through science find out more at simmental.org also gelvey and balancer the smart reliable and profitable choice for more information go to gelvey.org the working ranch expo to be held december 8th 9th and 10th in las vegas during the wrangler national finals rodeo right across from cowboy christmas to find out more or to reserve a booth, go to workingranchexpo.com. And our final sponsor, Beefmaster, which takes us into this episode of our Breed Spotlight today as we are joined by Colin Osborne, who's the Executive Vice President of Beefmaster Breeders United. And Colin, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
2: Thanks for having us, Justin. We're we're glad to be here today.
0: Colin, let's start first and talk about the history of what came together to build the Beefmaster Breed.
2: Certainly, the the breed was developed back in in the early 30s. Uh, Tom Laster and the Laster family uh, started to develop uh, a herd of cattle that would prosper and, and thrive in deep South Texas in some really harsh environment. Uh, and and they found that systematically crossing some Indicus Hereford and Shorthorn Indicus F1s together, uh, that that resulting progeny which is what we would see as a beef master today uh that that animal really thrived down there where it was really hot really dry uh and just a difficult place to live everything down there seems to want to poke you or bite you mm-hmm. and and these cattle really handled that environment well uh and and they began to to work around that uh the the breed was actually developed on what's become known as the six essentials and weight conformation. Uh, milk production, fertility, hardiness, and disposition, and they they tried to apply equal pressure across all six of those those traits and really develop a, a balanced herd of cattle uh, that had some economic strength and and their time and and that's what what has got us to where we are today.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you feel are some of the the key attributes that the beef master brings to the table?
2: so maternal ability maternal strength uh is is the one that really jumps to the forefront you know uh the 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 cows that come out of these beefmaster and beefmaster cross herds are just fantastic females that uh they last a long time they do a good job of raising a calf uh and they do it just about as efficiently as as any that are out there uh so that's that's one of the the biggest thing that probably comes to the forefront for us when we start talking about strengths of our breed is is their maternal ability. Uh, So uh, along with that, the the heterosis that we see that comes from putting these Beefmaster bulls back over some of the more English type and continental type cattle that are out there, uh, we see a great big shot of, of heterosis. And so we we get a lot of gain and a lot of grow and a lot of performance. Uh, coming out of our Beefmaster cross calves,
0: mm-hmm. which was something you'd mentioned earlier that uh, when you're visiting with folks about Beefmaster, one of the things that they're surprised about is what you guys are seeing from the carcass traits in these cattle on the rail.
2: Absolutely, we've we've started to collect a lot of data over the the last years that uh, is beginning to to make things a little clearer for us in in terms of how well these cattle. Uh, feed and and we know how efficient they are. We know how well they convert and and turn that feed into to pounds of of sellable product. Uh, but we've we've also and and the breeders have done a fantastic job that are that are producing seed stock beef master cattle of uh, really putting some importance on carcass quality uh, and moving that forward. Uh, it's not out of the ordinary for us at all to see a lot of these cattle that are grading 95, 97 percent choice and, and above.
0: Mhm, this is a breed that has found a way to adapt and fit particular environments for folks that uh, maybe would certain other types of cattle would not fit in
2: they really do we We talk about how they were developed in in harsh country in South Texas, but we found that these cattle really do thrive in those tropical uh climates as well from from Florida, and then even once we go up into some of the really dry, harsh, arid climates of the the northwest and the high deserts, uh, and and kind of everywhere in between, we found that the cattle really do tend to adapt quickly uh, and and very well to to their setting uh, wherever we put them. Uh, there's a a lot of thought that maybe some of these cattle don't handle the cold quite as well and and don't hair up quite as well, but uh, they they do a fantastic job with with the herds that we see that are in use from uh, you know central Kansas on north where these these purebred cattle that are even in those parts of the world aren't aren't having any kind of problems or, or excessive issues when we, we come to the cold weather. And and certainly we know how well they're, they've adapted to the, the hot and, mm-hmm. and arid and even hot and humid climates that we see them in routinely.
0: Mm-hmm. Colin, uh, for folks interested in finding a little bit more about the beef master breed, what's the direct route to get a hold of that information?
2: So absolutely, we would steer everyone to our website, which is beefmasters.org, uh, and we can you can find a lot of different information there. Uh, we've really built a, a strong set of of media outlets there that uh, we can can share stories from across the country, uh, and and look forward to to visiting with anybody that wants to come and and sit down and, and have a talk with us at one of the the coming industry meetings. Uh, we'll be out and about at most of the state conventions, and, and we'll see people there. And uh, certainly our telephones still work, so uh, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be glad to, to sit down and visit anytime someone has questions.
0: All right. Well, Colin, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
2: Thanks, Justin. We appreciate it, and we'll see you guys down the road.
0: Colin Osborne, Executive Vice President of Beef Master Breeders United. Beef Master, a sponsor of the Working Ranch Radio Show and this week's Breed Spotlight. Well, as I said at the top of the show, it's been hot and dry across many portions of the country. But I'll tell you, the southwestern part of the country has really been hit hard, not only this summer, but last summer as well it was interesting this last week several folks from working ranch magazine they were sharing screenshots with each other of what the forecasted high temperatures were going to be for the week and unfortunately i don't know if you'd be a winner or not but the captain tim o'burn at 115 degrees across the board every day it was kind of the winner i guess if you're going to call it winning but it hasn't been just this week they've had months of it with little to no moisture and an extreme heat and in this edition of tim's two cents the captain has a plan
3: Hey everybody, Justin, this drought's got me pretty concerned. I gotta tell you, we're sitting here watching Lake Mead and the Colorado River system just basically dry up before our eyes. And over 400 counties in the west here have been declared natural disaster areas by the USDA. I was thinking back to a high country news article uh, I read back in 2015. Uh, They talked about diverting water from canada's north country down here into the southwest united states and it was pretty big dreams and it's going to cost a lot of money but uh man i'm thinking that's not such a bad idea start digging a ditch and because all that water basically up there runs north it's such beautiful crystal clear fresh water and it runs north into the arctic ocean and it really doesn't do much good up there so you know i'm thinking why not start digging and uh, head her on down here and Maybe can help this country out a little bit. Anyway, that's my two cents. You guys have a great week.
0: Well, for what it's worth, Captain, just hearing of that crystal clear cool water coming out of Canada made me feel just a little bit cooler. But thanks again for this week's. Tim's Two Cents. Well, before we head to break, for those of you that are subscribers to Working Ranch Magazine, I hope you're enjoying your June, July issue. And if you are not subscribed and taking the magazine that's been branded number one by America's Ranchers, you can go to workingranchmag.com and start your subscription. Or also you can get a hold of me at justin.workingranch at gmail.com or call or text at 307-363-COWS and I can help you out there as well. Okay, conservation easements is our main subject today. After the break, we'll get into it. Find out if it's a tool you should use or a tool you should just leave in the toolbox. Up next on the Working Ranch Radio Show.
4: Payday starts with superior Beefmaster cows. Yes, the Beefmaster female has stayed true to her original purpose, to help ranchers in tough environments improve performance, survivability, and longevity. So if you're giving up ground in traits that matter, consider Beefmasters. The breed will jumpstart your cattle and give your next calf crop a performance boost. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. Learn more about what the Beefmaster cow can do for your herd at Beefmasters.org.
0: Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And as we dive into the waters today of conservation easements, they're waters that some we're going to recommend you absolutely stay away from. For some, it's going to be waters you tread cautiously on. And for some of us, they're waters that are a bit murky. We just don't quite understand it all. So I hope today that our show will clear up some of that murkiness, so to speak, so that you can have more clarity over which path you choose to go with or opinion you choose to take towards this particular issue. Now, personally, I come to this topic of conservation easements with some reservation, and it's going to be referred to as a tool in your toolbox, conservation easements are. But my reservation specifically has to do with the term perpetuity that is often involved in the language of conservation easements. However, I, like probably several of you, have just come through and we're still finalizing the passing down of my folks' ranch to my siblings and myself. And so I see firsthand the complexity of that process, especially after your parents have passed away. So I, I feel that while I have some valid concerns about easements, I also have some openness to what it could provide to an estate. So today we're going to have two guests joining me. First, we'll hear from someone that is going to offer more of a third-party perspective about the pros and cons of conservation easements. Then later in the show, we'll be joined by Cole Mannix, who will bring a perspective of a ranching family, why they did it, what he would change and his insights into conservation easements. So I want to introduce my first guest, who is Kelly Beavers, who is with the advisory firm of Topos and Anthros out of Bozeman, Montana. Now, Kelly graduated from May Business School at Texas A&M University with a master in real estate degree. She does not represent a land trust or an entity that does conservation easements. However, she has been involved with entities, land, and people that have enacted conservation easements. So Kelly, first of all, thank you for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. And let's start out very broad. Let's talk about it generally about the function of conservation easements for landowners. Well,
1: I think, you know, conservation easements are a function of our real property, right? And so when we think about property rights and real property oftentimes whether you're talking to a realtor or a rancher you know the thing that gets said is it's a bundle of sticks right and there's all these different rights you have on your property and and so we as folks that work on the land and 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 ranchers know that there's a bunch of different levers you can pull in land management and and some of those have to do with those property rights right so I think conservation easements have um have really come from this idea that there are a lot of different sticks in that bundle, and um, and that sometimes when there's a place where different people have different goals, moving those levers, or in this analogy, you know, like rearranging those sticks, um, and can really be a way to achieve um, some real mutually beneficial outcomes.
0: As it started working its way, and we start seeing agriculture land being uh, put into easements. Let's talk about the history of that and what what was the main reason for doing that?
1: Well, you know, I think that there's a couple of of reasons. I think that one of the big reasons has been on the landowner side thinking about how we pass down ranches from one generation to the next. And and as we all know, one of the great things about land is that generally it appreciates in value. Maybe not in certain crazy years, but over time and certainly over generations land appreciates in value and that also might mean that over time based on where you are land might become less affordable for the next generation to to take it over and so i think one of the one of the things that have really brought about um private landowners looking into easements has been the ability for easements to lower that value of the land so that the next generation can, can afford to take it over. And um, that is, that's certainly a big piece of, of the growth of that. I also think that easements have been a way as, as there's been, there's always been folks that are really concerned about the environment, right? Whether that's water or wildlife, there are always been outside groups, let's call them, Mm -hmm. Uh, interest groups that have really cared about that. And as those groups have grown and um, have strengthened and over time have bolstered their missions, I think that we've also started seeing easements as a way that those groups and landowners can work together instead of just fighting each other for um, more of a zero-sum game type type deal. And so I think easements have grown as, as those groups Who really care about particular wildlife or open space or different environmental issues, conservation related issues, have seen easements as a way that they can work with instead of against private landowners on some of the the things that we both care about.
0: Mm let's go now and we're going to get into the pros and the cons of conservation easements. And let's start on, on the benefits, the benefits and you, and we've kind of generally outlined a few as you've talked about here, but let's, let's get down to some specific benefits that are reasons that would push a landowner towards looking at a conservation easement.
1: Yeah. So I think to kind of just go off of what we were just talking about, one of the benefits is that change in the land value. And so, you know, I think most of your listeners probably are very fairly familiar with conservation easements, but for those that are not, um, you know, in a conservation easement, you are giving up certain rights. And, uh, and so some of those sticks in that bundle are being, are being pulled out of your bundle. And, and because of that, the property is then less valuable because you have less, uh fewer, fewer options of what to do with it. So let's just make an example. Perhaps the easement that you've negotiated allows you to only split your property twice. But by zoning, you could have split your property 15 times. Well you've given up the right for 13 of those splits, right? And there's a value associated with that because now You could only sell it to two people, not to 15 people. But because you've given up that, there's a value associated with that. So when conservation easements are done, again, most people probably know an appraisal is part of that. And there's a value assigned to those rights that you are giving up, to those sticks that you're removing from your bundle. And depending on your situation, both your individual situation, I'm not a tax accountant, so you need to talk (laughs) to that, but... You know, for your individual situation, as well as the easement partner you're working with, you might receive either a a tax benefit for the value of what you're giving up or a cash payment for the value of what you're giving up. Either way, you're left with a property that is now worth less because you can do less with it. And you've either gotten this tax benefit or you've gotten a cash payment. And those, those three pieces and how they're mixed and matched and used together have really often helped landowners pass the ranch down to the next generation and help. We all know, we all have families, whether or not we're ranchers and own land or farmers, we all have families, right? Mm -hmm. And so we know that they're always, not all the siblings always want the same thing or have the same goals. And so when you can, you know, cash some out while allowing the land value to be less for others to buy in, they're just sometimes... Conservation easements are the very thing that help in those, uh, those complicated conversations where different family members have different needs. All of a sudden, you now have more tools to meet those needs. Mm-hmm. And so that certainly is one of the pros. So I think another pro, and I kind of alluded to this, is the ability to negotiate them. So back in, you know, the 70s and the early 80s when conservation easements were a bit newer, at least here in the West, a lot of them looked fairly similar. Um, but as land trusts have evolved and agencies have grown and evolved, and as the needs of the landowner have changed, conservation easements, like any other real estate transaction, quite frankly, are fully negotiable. And so what, which sticks you're pulling out of your bundle, um, is really up to you and your partner. Your partner being whoever's going to hold that easement, be it a land trust or Fish Wildlife and Parks, or U.S. Fish and Wildlife, or Trout Unlimited, you know, um, or your local land trust, and so you can, as a family or as a, um, you know, a management entity of the of the ranch or the farm, decide what is most important to you, and and then negotiate those things out. And if if having home sites for your next generation to come back or your future apprentices to live on the land is important to you you can keep those you can keep the ability to build homes um if continuing to run agriculture is important to you you can work with a land trust partner that believes in ag and has is going to let you have full reign over what you're doing and so i think that's a pro that they are customizable Mm -hmm. and you are able to um You don't have to give everything up, I guess is what I'm
0: saying. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, we'll get into the negatives or the concerns of conservation easements when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K State showed that Sim Angus sired steer calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low risk, high potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we continue with my guest today, Kelly Beavers, with the advisory and consultant firm of Topos and Anthros out of Bozeman, Montana. Our subject is on conservation easements, and in the first segment we talked about some of the benefits and reasons landowners would look at using a conservation easement. And Kelly, when we flip the coin... And we look at the other side of of conservation easements. There's a lot of benefits that you mentioned that I think are on the minds of landowners, agriculture folks that uh, when they get to that certain point in their, uh with their ranch, they start figuring, man, how do we pass this on? And so I know what you said in terms of the of the benefits for conservation easements is probably something we have all th- thought about or are thinking about we need to look at the other side of that and know that we need to go into something with our eyes wide open. So when we look at the the things to be aware of or some, some cons, what would be some things that landowners need to be concerned with?
1: Yeah, I would say the big thing and it, you know, if we didn't mention it, it would be the elephant in the room is that most easements traditionally are for perpetuity. And I think most ranchers and farmers are already thinking about things on a pretty long scale. Like, yeah, you might be thinking about this growing season or this breeding season, but, but it's already in the minds of farmers and ranchers to be thinking about things at least across a decade, if not also a generation. Mm -hmm. Um, But perpetuity is even longer than a generation. Right. (laughs) And so I think that that's tough and it's, it's uh, different people have different levels of comfortable or uncomfortable with thinking that far ahead and, and knowing that there's so much that we don't know. Um, that being said, I think that if if we really were to stop and think about it, I think there are a lot of things that are in this, we don't know category mm-hmm. that we just, we don't let bother us. But yet this word perpetuity kind of, I think uh, puts, puts our hair up sometimes. Um, and I think that's just something to consider, particularly when you're thinking about that negotiation piece of what things are you willing to give up or not give up um, or to what things do you want to retain the right to do thinking about not just your needs and maybe not just your kids needs, but starting to think a lot longer um, Mm -hmm. when we're thinking about that because an easement does set you up for that a lot longer. So not necessarily a con, but just something to really be thoughtful about and certainly something that is that's hard sometimes to conceptualize even
0: mm-hmm. when we start looking at that particular concern of perpetuity and the phrase that I've heard with that is that it's it's grandpa and grandma or whoever controlling that land from the grave and and a lot changes in 100 years if we go back what 100 years look like in terms of agricultural operations to now and what they may look like in 100 years how do we know
1: that's a great question. And the, the truth is we don't know, right? Like no one has a crystal ball. But I think that to me comes back to that question of what you're willing to give up. And so, so many land trusts are actually focused on agriculture, you know, and, and some of them even have agriculture in their name. Mm-hmm. When you think about the Colorado Cattlemen Association Land Trust or the Wyoming Stock Growers Land Trust or here in Montana, we have the Montana Land Reliance and they are ag-based groups and and so when you're doing an easement with one of those groups and certainly your local land trusts a lot of them as well but absolutely your ag based groups they're not restricting any of your ag use and so it's things like not developing your property into a neighborhood that really gets me to my next con if mm-hmm. you will or next consideration is partnership and it's no different with a conservation easement than anything else right like the biggest risk in business mm-hmm. is partnership risk and so Finding that right partner is both an opportunity and a risk. It's both a pro and a con because if you don't really do your diligence and ask the right questions of yourself, quite frankly, and of that other person and, and get honest with yourself about what, what your values are and what's important to you and um, what is non-negotiable, then you might end up down the road for perpetuity mm-hmm. with the wrong person, right? And it's not it's not like a marriage. You can't divorce your, yeah. your conservation easement person. You know, it's, um, it's more like your family. You're always going to be with them. And so I think that's, that's both a pro and a con, because if you rush into something, you might end up with a partner who just has different goals than you and different values. And so that can certainly be a con because forever is a long time with the wrong yeah. partner. Yeah. Um, and you know, with, with easements, it's not like, It's not like the government's coming out to your land all the time, right? Or like they're in your business or that whatever entity is in your business. Rather, you know, the the groups that hold the easement, they have the responsibility to come and make sure you're you're following the easement, right? Because they're answering to someone else. And so, you know, if you said you weren't going to subdivide the property, they're coming out every year to make sure you didn't subdivide the property. There's not, you know... Uh, another owner in another house over there, or if you said that uh, you were going to keep cattle out of this pasture while, um, while this bird was on the ground during a certain month, they're going to come and check to make sure that your grazing plan as it's implemented is, is honoring that. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's not invasive, but it's not absent either. And so if you've got the wrong partner, you're just, it's going to be sticky and uncomfortable, for generations and that that could certainly be a con.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm concerned about with perpetuity, are we going to see these agreements in the at the Supreme Court in 60 70 years because they're written in perpetuity and there's people not in agreement in these situations or wanting out or there's 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 frustration and now we're at the Supreme Court des- deciding whether or not these conservation easements that were written for perpetuity are legal or not.
1: You know, it's a great question. And I don't know the answer to that. If, if I had to guess what things were going up to the Supreme Court, I would already be behind, you know, behind. There's so many things that have gone to the Supreme Court in the last year that I would have never thought were going to go there. So, you know, so I, I don't know that question, um, the answer to that question. And I think it's a it's a fair, um, it's a fair concern. But I think once you start going down that road, you could you could go really far down that road. You could ask yourself about the treaties that we have with native Americans, but there, there are so many layers to land use that could go to the Supreme court. And whether or not this is one of them, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a fair concern, but once you start asking that question, I think you might spend the rest of your day mm-hmm. deeper and deeper into what things sure. could go, could go that direction. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. The the second thing, and you talked about partnerships and that brings up uh, the concern. What about the solvency of these land trusts or these, these trust organizations that are doing this? If if they falter, what happens there?
1: Not working in a land trust myself, I'm not sure what, what their elevator pitch would be on that. But I'll tell you, we've seen where there have been really small regional land trusts that have ended up kind of being absorbed into a larger landscape level. We've um, seen that in western Colorado. We've certainly seen it here in Montana where... Over time, there's been a, there a solvency issue or just a leadership issue on a small land trust, and it becomes part of a larger regional group, then you're dealing with a different partner, potentially, and, and maybe a partner that has a little bit different values. And so I think... Looking to the history, looking for a group that you know been around since 1978 and has under a million acres under easement like the Montana Land Reliance here in Montana or a group like that. I think a lot of the time that's the strength in a group like that, besides just their expertise, is their longevity. And I think being able to look at that and say, OK, I don't know what the future looks like necessarily, but I know for the last over 50 years. They've stuck around, and you know, figuring out where your risk level is with that, and if fifty years of history is enough for you, or if it's not enough, and just like you would with any other mm-hmm. partner in
0: business. We're going to take a break here, and when we come back, is a conservation easement a good way to get out of debt? Kelly and I are going to discuss that question. Plus, in the following segments, Cole Mannix will join us with the land on review. When we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio Channel One Forty Seven Sirius XM. We'll be for commercial cow-calf producers, crossbreeding with Galve and Balancer is the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. Galve and Balancer females offer maternal superiority through increased fertility, greater longevity, and more pounds of calf weaned per cow exposed. In the feed yard, Balancer cattle can offer increased performance, improve feed efficiency, and have excellent carcass merit. Balancers add the pounds, make the grade, and deliver the value. Galvian Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to gelvate.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills, and my guest is Kelly Beavers with Topos and Anthros out of Bozeman, Montana. We're talking about conservation easements today, and Kelly, as you and I were talking ahead of the interview, you pointed out the benefits that ranching has to the general public oftentimes just gets unnoticed that the practices of ranching in and of itself provides benefits that we don't even think about
1: one thing that doesn't get talked about a lot with easements is is partnership in the terms of aligning interests. and i think in working lands landowners are providing so much public benefit the way you are farming or grazing the way you are managing your hunting operation the way you are working with even your, you know, the, having local youth out for ag days, you know, the way you are managing your property, all the different layers of that, providing public benefit, whether that is open space and beautiful views, or contributing food to the local supply chain and the local community, or whether that more related to the clean air and clean water that's coming from the ranch or the farm, and the way that they're managing, or even, you know. All the rage right now is talking about soil health and carbon credits, right? But quite honestly, the way that the ranch is being farmed or um, or grazed can particularly be building soil health and therefore drought resiliency, and that those sorts of things affect an entire community. And the public, who doesn't live on your ranch and maybe has never even been to your property, is getting a benefit from that.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And certainly, conservation easements are not the only way in which the public can be aligned with private landowners, but it is one way in which we're finding ways for an alignment of value and to compensate people for that alignment of value. And I I do think that's something just worth contemplating if nothing Mm -hmm. else.
0: Kelly, there's ranches out there with debt and and I'm not going to be critical of anyone's operation. Lord knows my own outfit is far from perfect. However, ranches that have debt, that they found they just cannot get out from under. They've probably considered or considering a conservation easement. And the only concern that I'm going to bring to the table on that is that if the previous management that accumulated that debt is not going to change, then we're going to be back in the same situation in 20 years or maybe less.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Justin, that's so well said. I don't think easements should be used as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Right Because it's a one-time use. <laughs> so if you're using it to pay off debt and you're not changing your management, if you're continuing to operate in such a way that you will only continue to rack up debt at that same rate or greater, then you can't you won't have this tool to use again later. Um, and I think I think that becomes a bigger conversation just about you know if we're if we're using any variety of tools, just to solve a one time problem or as a part of a larger solution. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the case of, of this example of someone saying, This might help take this burden off right now and it allows me to then get the right footing to operate it differently such that I don't have a debt burden like this in the future. Um, or it allows me to then have the a little bit of the cash flow to reinvest in certain ways such that I'm really able, you know, maybe that gives him the right cash flow to do a lot of infrastructure improvement in terms of fencing and water and now he's able to graze differently and increase his carrying capacity it's a totally different operation and the easement was what allowed him to pay off Mm -hmm. that debt enough to change his operation that's one thing Mm -hmm. but if it's just to pay off your debt and then continue to run the operation in an unsustainable way then using an easement was not a sustainable
0: solution. (laughs) so what's the perspective of the landowner that'll be up next as cole mannix joins us to talk about their family's decision to enter into conservation easements why they did it and advice he would offer to those considering it when we return here on the working ranch radio show animal health is key to your business so how do you track cattle health treatments well stop relying on pen and paper or complicated programs Performance Beef helps you record processing data, enter costs, and track animal health history all in real time at the shoot. The mobile app also makes it easy to log pasture and pen treatments on the go. Your health data is integrated with feed and financial information in one easy-to-use platform. Accessible from your computer, smartphone, or tablet. Find Performance Beef online to request a demo. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show here on Rural Radio Channel 147 Sirius XM. I'm Justin Mills. Our subject today is on conservation easements, and Kelly Beavers with the consulting firm of Topos and Anthros has been my guest. She will continue with us now as we bring into the conversation Cole Mannix, and Cole Mannix's family ranch, it's a multi-family-owned ranch located in the Blackfoot Valley of Montana, which is near the Bob Marshall Wilderness Area, and if you would be looking at a map of Montana, it's about halfway between Missoula on the west and Helena on the east, but the ranch has been in the family since 1882, and as I was preparing for this topic for the show visiting with kelly she suggested that we bring a landowner into the conversation that is has been around conservation easements and get their perspective. so cole Over the years, your family has done four conservation easements, I understand, with Fish and Wildlife Services. And we have ranching families listening here. And so from your experience, what are some things you would highly suggest they consider regarding conservation easements?
5: Well, I think the the main thing for us was just really talking it through as a family and ensuring that we understood what we were entering into and ensuring that the family's values aligned with the, the easement tool. And so that's fundamental. I think just ensuring that the the easement is as non-prescriptive in management is really important. Um, The relationship between the land trust and the landowner really, you know, just trusting that the entity involved um, is the right entity and has a good track record. In our case, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Partners Program has had a long presence in our valley and the same person who actually administers the easement and works with you on a daily basis that that person's been the same very active member of the community for as long as I can remember and you know so part of the risk that you look at is not just the agreement itself of course but it's the, it's the people that are um that you're going to be working with and you can't predict you know whether that's how stable that's going to be as we all know you know who's doing the interpretation of the easement matters so it's just an important consideration.
0: Mm-hmm. Cole, what would be your biggest concerns that you see with conservation easements?
5: Yeah, I would. I would just comment that one of my biggest concerns about about perpetuity easements. I have no problem with um, you know a perpetuity easement. We all know what perpetuity means in that legal language. Um, you know, it it means restricting a certain range of property rights for as long as. <laughs> Uh, that law is in effect mm-hmm. uh, for as long as the society is stable, whatever you want to say. But I think that it's it's too big a leap. And this is somebody who I'm pretty involved with land trusts and, and really care about them. But it, for me, it's a big leap from talking about a perpetuity easement as an important tool and pretending that the land that that perpetuity easement conserved is permanently conserved. It's pretty easy to kind of jump between sets of words, but I don't like the idea that there's a million acres under perpetuity conservation easement and that million acres is permanently conserved. Just limiting development is a pretty tiny percentage. It's something that's important, critically important, but it's a pretty small percentage of managing that land well over time. And so I, I think we can too easily start to throw around permanent conservation as if we've solved most of the problems on that land Mm -hmm. after we put a perpetuity conservation easement on it. And that's one of the Mm -hmm. comments I'd leave you with is it's one of the things that feels uncomfortable to me about the way we sometimes talk about perpetuity easements. Mm -hmm. And I am not afraid of more term agreements, habitat leases or whatever you want to call them. I think we need to consider those sorts of things as tools that are that can be adapted and changed as the world changes. Mm-hmm.
1: Cole, if I could jump in, I could not yeah. agree with you more. I think as always, you said that so well. And I think that element of it just not becoming a neighborhood doesn't necessarily mean that it's still being really beneficial in terms of conservation. And I just think about land that, that potentially gets conserved and then is not well managed and becomes whole bunch of cheatgrass, and it's both a fire danger, and it's not supporting wildlife anymore because it's just weeds, and it's not really helping in terms of drought resiliency because it, there are no, you know, um, deep tap root, rooted uh, native grasses on it anymore, and mm-hmm. and so I think if p- an easement put on it and then it not being well-managed can actually end up not achieving those same conservation goals that that easement was set out to achieve,
5: yeah like the vast expanses of public lands that we have in the west they're conserved in the sense that I don't think they're going to be developed but boy whether they're whether they're healthy and you know there's a lot of vitality there that has a lot to do with how we actually use them and that's the, for me the mm-hmm. the main thing that's often missed when we talk about permanent conservation
0: So basically what I hear you saying is preservation of that land does not automatically assume that that land is now in healthy management Absolutely. Our final segment is next, and we're going to talk about term easements versus perpetual easements and what you need to be aware of on the term agreements when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM.
4: The Beefmaster excels in all maternal traits. They get bred easily, year in and year out. They make raising good calves look easy and possess excellent longevity, not breaking down in tough environments. Research shows the breed ranks above others for feed efficiency, one of the most important production traits. If your cow herd has lost its ability to adapt, maybe it's time to rebuild with proven Beefmaster females. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. Learn more about what the Beefmaster cow can do at Beefmasters.org.
0: Welcome back to our final segment here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. And our last discussion point with my guest today on conservation easements is about doing something on a term basis versus for perpetuity. Cole, you briefly talked about term easements. Kelly, I want to go to you first. What have you seen on term easements?
1: I think term easements, sometimes they're called habitat leases. Um, certainly, we're starting to see more of those. Um both as a creative tool, again, to align values, something I talked about earlier, something Cole has talked about, that alignment of values between conservation-based organizations, be they NGOs or agencies trying to achieve certain outcomes based on, uh, or for wildlife on the landscape, starting to see more tools in the toolbox helps us work together instead of against each other
0: more. Cole, what about you? What do you see as differences in these term easements versus the perpetual easements or the habitat leases versus perpetual easements?
5: Yeah, the only thing I would add is that we're making a little bit of a leap from if you take a perpetuity conservation easement and just a term conservation easement, you know, the only difference between those two is truly just the term versus perpetuity. There's no management prescription. It's just an absence of the right to develop either in perpetuity or, you know, for 30 years or whatever the term is. But the habitat lease idea takes it a step further into just much more difficult territory, which is how do you, how do you provide um, reward, incentives, however you wanna say it, for really good management? And that's, that's always been a challenge. Do you look just at practices? And you know the practices are either in place or they're not. That can be a little bit uh, of a blunt instrument because it all matters on how well the practices are actually implemented on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. You look at strictly on outcomes, outcomes can be really complicated to measure, and sometimes they don't have a perfect connection with stewardship. You know, you might be in a really bad drought and your outcomes are going down, and yet it's really good management. And then, you know, there's kind of an in-between of how do you actually, in this question of how do you actually pay for a habitat lease, pay for good management, There's sort of an in between between the strict outcomes and the practices of engaging in enrolling in a plan and revisiting that plan. Somebody you know somebody works with the landlord to revisit that plan, and there's an understanding that the outcomes you know hopefully are going in a good direction. But if they're not, there might be reasons for that. There's an there's an understanding that you just you're always adjusting the plan as soon as it's written. You know the payment is in in exchange for the process of engaging in that plan. And, and adjusting as you go. So anyway, the, I think the thing to say there is that maybe the, one of the reasons why we don't have a ton of examples out there are that it's hard. CSP in the Farm Bill is a good example of payment for practices, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's a little clunky, but it's something. Carbon markets are you know if they ever really get rolling that are based on actually measuring change in carbon are example of outcomes, but it's one of the reasons why they're not rolling is because it's really complicated to measure it. And so we, we're struggling to find the right way to you know, pay for really good management.
0: Well, I want to give you both one final comment before we go here today. I think we've had some good, open, and honest discussion about conservation easements. And Cole, I'll turn it to you first for your final comments.
5: No, I really appreciate the conversation with you, Justin, and, and Kelly with you. I think that this is a tool in the toolbox as it's important and a lot of people say that. And, um, I am a, definitely an advocate for that tool because I think it often is a good fit. And at the very same time, I, I worry that we, we can start to celebrate it too much and pretend that it does more than it, than it actually does. You know, the big game is how do you live on the land without spoiling it? And that's about a daily, you know, daily good management. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, that's just not something a conservation easement was ever designed to deal with. And uh, we need to find other ways to to
0: support the people doing the work. Kelly, what about you?
1: I, I think that was so well said, Cole. And I think really thinking about that, you know, to use that analogy of a tool in the toolbox, whether it's a conservation easement or something else, not being so focused on the tool and how it's always worked and almost defensive of that, but rather just curious, what are we actually trying to achieve here? And to Colts Point, we're trying to achieve these lands still supporting families, still being intact, still remaining working and wildlife habitat um, and biodiverse. And if that's what we're all trying to achieve, whether we're at a land trust or a state agency or we're a rancher, then let's keep asking ourselves, how do we achieve that? And our conservation easement is one way to achieve that in Are we doing easements in a way that does achieve that? And um, whether it's with an easement or with another tool in the toolbox, having more tools really benefits everybody.
0: Kelly Beavers of Topos and Anthros, Cole Mannix, part of the Mannix family and the Mannix Ranch, located in the Blackfoot Valley of Montana. My guest today, thanks to you again both for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Just a couple of websites for you here. If you'd like to reach out to Kelly Beavers about what she talked about today, you can go to her website at toposandanthros.com. Again, that's toposandanthros.com. Or if you'd like to read about the Mannix Ranch uh, or visit with some of them personally, you can find out contact information on their website. That website is MannixBeef.com. Again, that website is Mannix, spelled M-A-N-N-I-X, Beef.com. A big topic today, we covered so much on the subject of conservation easements. It's kind of an estate issue, and we know that that is major across our ranching industry. I hope it provides some element of clarity or even direction. On getting more answers that you may have in regards to conservation easements. A thank you to our sponsors today: the American Cementol Association, Cementol Profit Through Science. Find out more at cementol.org. Also, Gelve and Balancer, the smart, reliable, and profitable choice. For more information, go to gelve.org. And finally, Beefmaster. Nothing beats a Beefmaster. Find out more at beefmasters.org. Well, if you'd like to get a hold of me about today's show or topics you'd like us to cover here on the Working Ranch Radio Show, you can call me or text the studio at 307-363-COWS or shoot me an email at ranch at gmail.com. The Working Ranch Radio Show is a production of Working Ranch Magazine. Join us each Saturday right here at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM, or on your podcast provider. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Justin Mills. And until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long.